Amen. Good morning, Rock Bible Church. With a resounding welcome. Good morning right, from both of you. Good. Uh, good to see you all. And uh, good to be here. And man, it just seems like every week there's some other big thing that gets added to our list of questions. It's, it's bad enough with what's going on, and then all of a sudden the fires and whatnot. And, uh, you know, last Sunday morning we were here kind of celebrating the lightning and the thunder and how fun that was and a little teeny bit of rain. And little did we know that that was actually what was sparking a bunch of fires and everything. So uh, we'll continue to pray because um, uh, it can't get any worse, right? <laughs> Careful when you say that, right? Careful when you say that, because it could, it actually could. And so um, we need to trust in the Lord that uh, he's in control and he's got this. Um, that he's got a plan, that there's a will somewhere behind all this. Um, and that takes faith, right? And faith's what we're talking about. Our series right now, we're going through the book of First Thessalonians. And uh, the topic's been faith. And so we're going to continue in that and look at, uh, what we can do as far as uh, what does the path of our faith look like? We've talked about the proof of our faith, the hope of our faith, the result of our faith, um, but the path, how do, you, how do you walk the path of faith? Um, and uh, Paul gets in this chapter four and starts talking about walking, how we walk. He mentioned it a couple times and it's got me thinking about how is it that you live out your daily faith? Um, beyond, well, I go to church on Sundays, and then what? You know, it's a very interesting question. Now that you can't go to church on Sundays, the question becomes much bigger. How do you live out your daily faith? What, what is, how do your decisions get made? What does life look like? What's the day-to-day? Um, how close are you and God? walking through the process together. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, and I want to encourage you to get your Bible out. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the proof of faith. We're going to be up here on the screen, and you get it at home there. But um, before we get started, let's pray, and uh, and then we'll go get to it. Lord, thanks for the fact that you are someone we can put our faith in, that we can trust in, and in the midst of big questions, when we feel stuck or stranded, we can call out for help. We trust that you show up. And that's what we need right now, Lord. Uh, we got fires here in Northern California. We got virus throughout the world. We've got uh, politics and unemployment and so many different things that seem, seem to be just taking away what normal life used to be. I pray, Lord, that as that's being stripped away, we'll see more of you. I'll be forced to look at you. Just wonder if that's part of what you're doing. We look forward to the whole of what you're doing, Lord, and we trust that our time this morning will help us to understand faith in a bigger way, that we might look towards what you're doing, and look really toward you and start asking the questions that are most important. Help us to avoid the distractions. So we pray all this, Lord, in your son Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Let's get started. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. We're, uh, we're, we're getting into the last uh, half of the book here. Um, and... Uh, you can tell that because the first word is finally. So Paul's starting to wrap up. Now, th- that's like going to the DMV, right? Well, we're starting to wrap up. That means you're getting in line at the DMV because he's got two chapters left to still wrap up. So it's going to be a while. Um, but he starts out, finally then, brothers, considering all that he's talked about, about faith in the first uh, three chapters and what he has seen and charged Thessalonica with. He says, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk 
and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. He says right there, he says, just in, in light of everything we said, remember that's supposed to change the way you walk, affect the way you walk, decide how you walk. Does that mean you, you need a little giddy up in your step when you're walking? No, he's talking about life, isn't he? It's a metaphor. We say walk the walk, talk, talk the talk, but walk the walk. What? It's not that you walk differently. It's that the decisions you make, the things you say, how you treat people, where you spend your time, where you invest, all those things are adjusted based on what you know about God. Um, isn't that really a faith statement? That how I handle myself, my things, my relationships would be defined by God? That's a faith statement. You know, it really um, becomes a statement about fear. That fear is a faith statement. Hope is a faith statement. Sadness is a faith statement. You know, the more you look at these things and get deep into them, you'll realize uh, all of it is about God. All of it is about your perspective of who God is. Do you believe he's there? If he's there, what's he capable of? And if he is capable of anything, how willing is he to engage on your behalf? And when he engages on your behalf, will it be good or beneficial? And then on top of that, how long will it take? Wow. How many variables is there? Man, it takes a lot of faith, doesn't it? To have them affect all parts of life. I'm guessing that's learned rather than innate. You know, in psychology, they talk about the whole concept, well, is this nature or nurture? Well, what does that mean? Is it their nature? Like, they do it just being alive. They breathe. They blink their eyes. They, you know, do normal functions that any animal would do because that's their nature. Or is it nurture? They have to learn it. It needs to be taught. They need an example. Someone needs to come alongside them. It's a great question. Great question. Is faith in our nature, or does it have to be nurtured? And here's what I'm going to argue with you about. Argue. Can't we just have a discussion? No, we're going to argue. Because if you take the other side, them's fighting words. Right? Uh, faith is in your nature. It need not be learned. Wait, I thought a second ago, it looked like you were heading the direction of it has to be learned. Yes, it has to be learned in to put your faith in God. But to be a faith creature is in your nature. Why? The fact that you invest or try to do anything, that you uh, invest in a relationship, that you pursue a job, that you work out, any of those things, you are putting faith that somehow that's going to benefit you. So we're actually faith creatures by nature. Learning how to do that with God, that's a learned experience. And that's why Paul is saying, kind of, hey, I know that you're doing a good job already. But watch what he says there at the end of verse 1. He says that you do so more and more. What's that imply? There's always more to learn. You can always get better. You can keep working at it. That's a great reminder for us, especially with all that we're going through right now. We definitely need this concept of how do I do more and more with God right now. Verse 2, for you know what instruction we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God. <gasps> Stop right there. Got to stop right there, okay? In my industry, we have to stop right there because in my, what's the biggest question in your industry? My industry? I'm, I'm like 16. What do you mean my industry? No, no, where you roll, where you spend your time, your majority of hours of your day, where you either make your most money or you spend the most money or time. The biggest chunk of where you exist, what's the question? that they go through. Well, what's the bottom line? What's our, our quarterly report? That's the biggest thing. Or grades, when the report comes come out, that, that's, that's the most important thing. What's, what's the big question in your industry? Because here's the one in mine. What's the will of God? What does God want me to do? 
What is God doing? Where is God? Right? And here, Paul, how arrogant of him. He is going to suggest that he knows the will of God. And it's in Scripture, so God let it be there. This, this is heavy, folks. All right, did we build it up enough? For this is the will of God. He's about to give it. You know what it is? Your sanctification. Period. I don't know if you realize how groundbreaking this is for me. I know how to answer that question in every coffee meeting that I have from now on, in every uh, office counseling setting, in every marital uh, discussion that I have with people or whatever, in every faith that when somebody says from now on, well, I just want to know what the Lord's will is. What's God want for you? I could just say, your sanctification. And I'm done. All right? All right, let's call it a day. Let's pray and wrap it up. We're done? No. Because here's the problem. We got to know what sanctification means. It's like a big word. It's got a lot of vowels. Yes. And as I always did back when I was in the streets of Castro Valley growing up as a young lad. Great. That sounds good. My sanctification. You know what the Lord's will. What does it mean? And my big question has never really been, what's the Lord's will? Because usually everybody tells me what it is, right? Oh, you know, you know, God wants you to do this, and you should be doing that, and blah, blah, blah. And the, the question I always had was, well, great, how do I do it? That's where we're getting at today. Great, Lord's will is your sanctification? Awesome, let's figure out how you do it. Let's figure out how you do it. Let's see what Paul says about it. And that, that's huge, right? That you abstain from sexual immorality. That's one of the areas, right? Now, why do you think he said that to the people of Thessalonica? Hey, Thessalonians, quit fooling around. Quit running around putting your faith in something that won't pay off. Putting your faith in something that's temporal and you might enjoy for a moment, it might have a, a quick return, but long term, this is not the will of God. This is not the direction for your life. This is not the reason he created you. He's got a purpose for you, an intent, a direction, a will, your sanctification. Uh, by the way, sanctification does not come from sexuality. There you go. There's a for your first fill-in for the day. Sanctification does not come from sexuality. Apparently, the Thessalonians need to be told that. But that's okay. I know we don't need to be told that because sexuality isn't in every newspaper, every movie, every magazine, every social post, everywhere. That's funny. It seems like our culture never gets the answers or they just put their faith in other things. Right. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Hey, you can do certain things with your body, but how about you try doing holiness? Set apart. Set apart for what? Set apart for God. And honor. Let's do honorable things. How do you do honor? It's a great question. How do you honor your parents? How do you honor your boss? How do you honor the job, even when you don't like the boss or the job? How do you honor your own time? How do you honor your own body? This is how. Verse 5, look up or look down if you're looking at your Bible. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Here's how you do it. Act like you know God. When you walk, act like you know God the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you treat. Act like you actually know him, that you've spent some time with him, that he does have direction, that he does have good intention. If we walk that way, would that sanctify you? Well, gee, Scott, I don't really know because we mentioned that word quite a few minutes ago and we still don't know what does sanctification mean. This is, the, this is the, the best, simple definition of sanctification. Ready? Ready? Getting better according to God. Your sanctification means you're getting better according to God. Well, the Bible says there's no, no one good, not, no, not one. Yes, okay, great. 
for your Bible nerdiness. But you know, God has a process for each of us. No, none of us are good. No, not one. But all of us can be sanctified. We're on the road to good, aren't we? Maybe we haven't arrived there. Maybe we, our, our car broke down and we're stuck. But we're going to get there eventually. Jesus made sure of it. If that's the case, then let's act like it. Let's talk like it, walk like it, think like it. That there's good and bad, and we're going to pursue the good. There's right and wrong, and we're going to pursue the right. That we're not going to just do whatever we want in our own eyes, what's comfortable for us, or what gets us heard, as is going on in culture. Maybe we do what's best for the whole maybe defined outside of us. Maybe we put our faith in someone other than ourself. Ooh. Ooh. Because when you get down to all the other things we've talked about in faith, faith in this, faith in that, really it is faith in yourself. The big question for Thessalonians and for Californians, you're going to put your faith in one of two things, God or yourself. Period. How you play that out is up to you. But note this. Paul has just said, once you learn how to carry your own body in a way that builds you and gets you better according to God, and all of that information would have to come from outside of yourself. So according to Paul, we put our faith in God, not in ourselves, because past the destruction is putting faith in yourself. He says that's where the, the Gentiles do, because they don't know God. That no one, verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Be careful with how you treat your brother. I tell my kids that all the time. Be careful how you treat your brother. Why? Because God's coming for you. <laughs> You're not that afraid of mom. You're afraid that mom will tell dad. But then really you shouldn't be afraid of dad. Because who's really coming for you is God. God is an avenger. He's got a cape. Movie's coming out next summer, I guess. I don't know. I didn't realize he was one of the avengers. That's so awesome. I wonder what his outfit's going to look like. And his superpower. Let's see him fight Hulk. That would be pretty cool. You know what this is saying? What's important to God? brother and how you walk really anywhere in there does it say how i think what's important to me what i want what i need no none of those things are in there do not transgress your brother or i'm coming to get you that's scary or not maybe it's good Who's walk in a way that uh, gets us better towards God and, and treat others in a way that gets them better towards God? That warning, that's starting to sound like fun. Beneficial, enjoyable. Smiles and happy. Let's do that. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. There's a purpose for what he's called us to. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. We have to be careful that we're not disregarding God in what we're doing. It's a great question if you're trying to choose a course of action. Should I do this or should I do that? Or how should I respond to this thing? Great question to guide that. Well, will I be disregarding anything about God when I do this? Or am I affirming God when I do this? It's a great question. Right? Who gives us the Holy Spirit. Right? He gives his Holy Spirit to you. Kind of interesting. You realize how this all fits together? Remember Jesus left. He said, don't worry, I'm sending a helper. He's like, wait a minute. You just died on the cross. You were raised. You're going up to the Father. You're preparing a place for me. It's supposed to be really awesome. Better than I can imagine. Um, why do I need help again? Think about this. Apparently, between the time that Jesus died and when we all spend time in heaven, apparently there's a gap of time there where we're supposed to walk and live and do life. Do we need help in that time? 
How about we have an ever-present, all-powerful third part of the Trinity alongside us the whole time? Interesting. We got backup argument for why sanctification is his will. That us getting better, that us working at it, that us making decisions that honor God and, and, and bless our brothers is actually important to him, and we should be practicing it. Why? So we get better at it. I love when we start figuring out that this stuff all fits together. Verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Oh, finally, they got an A on the report card. Apparently, they've been doing a really good job of loving their brothers. Right? Which, good. We could check that off. Now we're done. We don't have to worry about doing that anymore. We've we've done a good job. We can move on to something else. No? Watch this. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But, darn, there's a minus on that A. I got an A, but it was an A minus, which I never, I never told anybody. Right? Whenever I got an A minus, they would say, hey, what'd you get in math? I got an A. Oh, you got an, how'd you get an A? I, are you sure you didn't get an A minus? It's like, I don't know, minus, minus, I don't know. An A's an A, right? Now here, Paul says there, there's a little minus on that A. Yes, you're, you're loving your brothers. You're doing a great job. Macedonia is better because of you. But let's find out what the minus is. We urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Oh, no. We've heard this more and more phrase twice now. I would argue three times because he used that really big word, sanctification. Right? You know what the sanctification word is? Well, yes, Scott, you told us the best simple definition is getting better according to God. Yeah, that's doing God more and more. So I'm going to argue that this more and more concept, at least, shows up three times. Maybe the phrase is only twice. But if you add sanctification in there, uh, what's God really trying to beat into our heads? Get to this process of running alongside God, referencing God, talking to God, reading his stuff, listening to people who do, and trying it, actually trying it more and more. And to aspire, if you are aspiring, it says aspire to live, if you are aspiring to live, what's that say about right now? Aspiring is really a statement about when I get over there, right? What it says about right now is even if you're doing pretty good, actually the English teachers would say if you are doing pretty well, there's more good you can do. There's more. You know, I want to make sure that we get a concept uh, just burned into our being at this church. I've said it, it is our nature to be animals of faith. And I want to make sure you understand that we are more animals. What's that? We're animals that in our nature we pursue more, period. More what? Yes. You mean like more money? Like How much is enough money? More. Right? Uh, you want your relationship to get better? Yes. What are you saying? You want more from your relationship. You want a better job? Yes. What does that mean? You want more from your job. We want more time, more health, more money, more toys. I mean, toys. Right? That's the easiest concept on the planet. We love our toys, we love our food. And we're just doing more all the time. Let's just take the things that are in our nature, faith and more, and let's redirect those towards God and how we live our lives. Let's aspire to do that, right? And to aspire to live, verse 11, quietly, and to find your own affair, to mind your own affairs. Mind your own affairs. Man, I would love to grab some politicians and some different people, especially ones out in the streets and sometimes, and some in my own family, and hopefully the guy in the mirror and say, hey, hey, 
why don't you get good at minding your own affairs? You had all these comments about everybody else and what should and shouldn't and this law or that law or what might be or, my goodness, I wish it was November 4th already. How about if the highest priority was to mind your own affairs? Take care of yourself. Practice self-control. Be responsible. Be accountable. Or as we said last week, be, what was it? Be nice. You know, be nice, is a, we think it's a statement about other people. I'm going to be nice to other people, but really it's a statement about you, minding your own affairs, that you learn how to be the type of person who can be nice. It is in our nature. We just have to practice it. And to work with your hands as we instructed you, right, let's work, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Take care of business rather than let other people take care of business for you. How about you be a provider rather than provided for? How about you accomplish rather than be a a fan or a spectator? I, you know what I love uh, about the garden story, Genesis 3? You know, people like to like rip and whine and complain about Eve. Oh, she was talking to the serpent. Yeah, well, at least she was doing something. At least she was in a conversation. What was Adam Adam doing? Nothing. He was sitting there on his hands, probably on the couch with the remote, disengaged, and it's like, Bob, it's time to engage. Get up, right? That's what Paul's saying. Let's actually do some of these things. Invest in yourself. Why? Because I'm being selfish? No, you invest in yourself to take care of yourself so that you can then be a blessing and an influence to everybody else. But if you can't carry your own weight, what are you going to carry for anybody else? Uh, but, verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. You know, they're starting to worry about, back, back in those days, there's a big question about resurrection or afterlife or do you go to heaven or is it just, you live on this planet and, and when, you, when your minutes are up, it's up and that's it. Have a nice ceremony and then you don't exist anymore. There is no soul. That's what many of the Jews believed. And they had this big fight, argument. You remember remember, um, uh, Pharisees and Sadducees? Pharisees and Sadducees, you know what their big difference was? One of them believed in the afterlife. One of them didn't. Some of them were sad. Because it wasn't fair. That's how you remember the two. He's saying, you know what? Here, let me put this to rest. What happens when you die? Or for those who, back in, the, back in those days, the phrase when, you, when they said that some have fallen asleep, there's this concept that they, they died. They didn't want to see, say it that way, right? It was this like, catchphrase they would use. He says, you know, the people that have passed on, do they have no hope? What's going to happen to them? And, and ultimately, what we're really asking, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to us? Here's what he says. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, really important in this passage. I mean, we say it in many other passages that he rose again, but this is this passage is specifically talking about the idea: can people rise again? He says, "Well, we got an example in Jesus. He rose again. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep or those who pass away." For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Okay, he's, you know what he's saying? This is the God's honest truth. You ever heard that phrase? This is the God's honest truth. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a trumpet of God. I'm sorry, I think you're supposed to get loud when you read that part. Right? It's supposed to be, it's going to be a big event, right? Can't miss it. And the dead in Christ, okay, now we know, well, how do we know that the fallen asleep were really the dead? Well, it says right there, right? The dead in Christ will rise first. Well, that's not fair. Why do they get to go first? Oh, quit whining. 
You love the first statement there. Because if there's a first, then there's a, there's a second. Yeah, maybe they go first because they've passed. But guess what? There's a second. Watch what he says. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Folks, that's a statement about the end game. Remember, he's an Avenger, and this is the end game. Okay. They stole all their material from the Bible. I know the event marveled in. Um, he's saying, at the end of the day, we're going to be with the Lord. Why is that important? Because it tells us again about where our destination is, and therefore justifies why we should walk with faith. Why should we should walk on a path that leads to God, where we're getting better according to him, right? Because there's going to be a huge immense, super loud. There's a trumpet of God, apparently. I want to see that trumpet. Cry of a command. This big event, he's going to come down, and we're all going to be up with him. Uh, but it doesn't say just for a little while. It says always. That's our destiny. You're talking about the, what is the will of God? Your sanctification. Why? Because we're going to be with him forever. The fire, fires will get put out. The virus will go away. We will get a new president or another president. We will always have racial tension. We will always have issues to deal with. And we will always be fighting amongst ourselves unless we start to put our faith in the Lord rather than fear all these other things, which really is faith in those other things, and project that we are living towards a future day where everything will be more than good. It will be great. It's going to be awesome. Therefore, verse 18, therefore, if all of this is true, Right? We started the chapter, finally. And he's explained a bunch of stuff. We're through four chapters. Says, Therefore, if this is all true, encourage one another with these words. What's he saying? Do this and encourage others to do the same. Let's talk about how to do that right now. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. You know, we say that all the time. Are you catching it when we say that? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I say amen, you say amen, and then we move on, right, to the fill-ins, right, to the less important stuff, or whatever, the takeaways. But why do we do that? Because it is the reading of his word, his word as a source for teaching us how to have faith, to walk by faith, to prove that we have faith, to see the results of our faith, to hope in our faith. It comes from his word. It comes from him and his finished work on the cross. Amen? So, again, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Uh, let's look at this. Uh, what, what is path of faith? What is the path of faith to? Let's do the first one outright. It invests more and more in pleasing God. I told you we saw that phrase at least twice. We saw it three times in concept. But verse one through three gets in this, in, into this discussion. It says, hey, look, this is how you're supposed to walk. It's supposed to walk to please God. And by the way, uh, do it more and more. End of verse three, it says that. And then in verse 10, what does it say? It says, hey, you've been doing a great job loving your brother. You're a pretty good brother. You're a good citizen. Good job, Johnny. Here's your award. Go off and enjoy the fruits of your labor. No. What does it say? Good job. Now, how can you get better at it? How can you do that more? You know, it's like when we go to Mexico and we, we work on houses or um, maybe at your job or maybe at your school or maybe a sport that you've been in where people talk about that one uh, gal or that one guy and they say man do you see them yeah it's like they never quit 
They just kept on working. They kept on going. They kept on shooting. They kept on coming back to carry another box and another. They, they showed up three days in a row, whatever. What's impressive about that? Just keep going more and more. I was talking just yesterday about a situation. Somebody said, you know, that's going to help them learn a work ethic. Work ethic, right? Uh, older people, we like to complain about the younger generation. They, they just don't have a work ethic. Well, yeah, because they start out with none, and they're learning how to do it. They're being sanctified. They're trying to figure out how to do it more and more. You know, it's really impressive when you find a young person, and they show up, and they work the whole time, or they do the extra, they go the extra mile, then they stay and clean up after. That's amazing. What if your Christian life was like that? What if your faith in God played itself out that way to where instead of saying, yeah, I could, I could keep doing this, you say, what if, yeah, I can keep doing this, but what if we added that? It's really kind of fun. It's a good experience. I... Uh, Went with my wife, and we we uh, we bought this piece of furniture recently, and it was it was kind of on a whim. It was it was half planned, but unplanned. Like if it had been planned, we would have brought a truck, right? But we ended up at this place, and we purchased this piece of furniture, and we were all excited, and and we're looking at each other. And it's like, well, that's not fitting in the car. <laughs> not putting that on the roof. That'll crush the roof. Maybe I don't know. And uh, what do we do? Well, Johnny's at home. Call Johnny. Johnny will bring the truck. Okay? Johnny gets to be the superhero in this story. Um, so we call John, and John shows up and parks, and the parking lot was packed, and he had to park a little far away, and he comes in and said, what's going on? And we kind of explain. And, and he said, so, uh, so we'll back, put the truck back it in right here by the thing so we can load it in. We don't have to take the furniture across the parking lot because um, nobody likes to carry heavy stuff any farther than they have to, right? So he goes out to get in the, in the truck, and I'm watching this whole thing, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, ah, it's pretty far. He's going to have to, the way he's backing out, he's going to have to drive all the way around the parking lot to come all the way back around and then stop and then back in. If it was me, though, I just back out and then back up the whole way and come right here. That's what I would do. I wonder if I should call him on his phone, tell him to do that, or run over there. No, let's just wait and see what happens, right? I'm kind of watching this thing, and he starts backing out, and, and right as he's, I, I think he's about to stop, he just straightens out and curves, and, and, and he backs the truck up the whole way. He backs it up like, I don't know, 20 yards or something. What a, what a big distance. But he backs it up 20 yards and stops and pulls it in. And he gets out. And he's like, all right, where's this? And he's like, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute, John. He's like, what? What's wrong? He said, I'm having a dad moment. What are you talking about? Like, it's, Johnny thinks I'm weird, right? He's 20. I'm not. <laughs> and I, I was like, you know, I, I just want you to know that was like so gratifying for me. To watch you do that and be able to maneuver the car, the mechanics of driving it and backing up and the whole thing. I thought for sure you were going to drive around the whole parking lot in order to turn around and then stop and back up seven feet. Instead, you've been watching me and the way I've done things in the past and the things I've explained to you, and you decided that you'd try it. He said, well... I, mean, I thought I could drive around the parking lot and do that, but I also thought, well, maybe if I just back it up the whole way, maybe it'll be faster. So I thought I'd give it a try. Folks, that's your Christian faith when it comes to faith. Try to do more and more. Well, I don't, uh, I don't want to do Pray about it. Well, but that's not going to work. Mm, liar. Try praying about it. See what happens. It's like backing up a truck for a little while, then more than you're used to. And, and see how it goes. See if God doesn't take that and do something. It's a, it's a great little opportunity for us to invest in what might be in our relationship with the Lord. 
Paul says, you know, in Thessalonica, uh, Thessalonica you, guys, you guys are doing so well in certain things. And know this, know this, as well as you're doing, you could do even more. It's kind of like math, right? Now, this is a negative connotation, a negative analogy. Anytime you take a math class and pass it, you know what the great news is? You pass the class. Good job. You know what the bad news is? There's another math class after that. At some point, you gotta just, with math, you just got to decide you're stopping there, right? Get all the way to calculus. It's like, you can keep going in quantum physics and blah, blah, blah. You're going on all this stuff, but or just stop, right? Never do that in your relationship with the Lord. What if you got to the quantum physics or the calculus level of faith with God? Because you just, you passed the class that you were in and you kept moving forward and getting better at it. What would that take? Well, gee, Scott, you're the pastor. You're supposed to tell us what that would take. Effort and attempts and repetition. It's like any, anything you practice. So one, it it invests more and more in pleasing God. Um, By the way, that's opposed to in pleasing yourself. Know that investing more and more in pleasing God means you have to get up out of bed and get the truck and drive across town, and then you have to park and go inside and talk to somebody, then you got to back it up. And by the way, that's just the beginning. Now we got to lift the furniture into the thing, strap it down, drive it home slowly, get it to the house, and now you got to figure out how to get it in the house. Well, part of that was fun for Johnny. Anybody say none? But did Johnny learn some things? Absolutely. Was he made better? Absolutely. Was he a blessing to others? Absolutely. That's how our relationship with the Lord works. And that story's going to come back to haunt him in a minute. Right? Number two, after I invest more and more in pleasing God, number two, it influences self to focus on responsibility rather than authority. It focuses self to, fo- uh, uh, to focus on responsibility rather than authority. Early in my ministry, I remember being in several situations at the church I was at where I, had respons- I was responsible for something, but, but I didn't have the authority. Someone else was in charge, but I was responsible for it. And I, I kept getting in trouble or whatever, or I, I needed certain things, resources, and I, I couldn't get them because I had to get someone else's permission, and they weren't sure whether I needed that stuff really to accomplish what I was. And so I was always trying to accomplish things with half the stuff I needed and, and spinning wheels. I remember I got to a point in my ministry where I got really frustrated and started having a conversation with leadership of the church. And, and this phrase was brought up by someone else, someone above me, who said, yeah, actually, you know what? I think if we're going to make Scott responsible for that, then we should give him the authority over it as well. And I was like, wow, that sounds awesome. What does it mean? I mean, you've you're got to be responsible for it, but we're going to be the power to make the decision. We're going to be the resources to actually... Make decisions so that you can do the things you need to do. And I remember thinking for the longest time, it's like, yeah, I got to wait for someone else to give me responsibility and give me authority. That equation stops working when you decide to start a church. Why? Because there's no one to give you responsibility and there's no one to give you authority. The church doesn't exist. There's no one above you in the organization that does not exist. So there's no one to give you orders or give you responsibility or give you permission or give you ideas. You know what you have to do at that point? You have to start generating within yourself. Any business you want to start. How about this? Any job you want to apply for. No one can give you the responsibility and authority to apply for that job until you decide within yourself I'm going to look up the job, or I'm going to build a resume, or I'm going to submit the resume, or I'm going to call them, or I'm going to walk in and talk to them, whatever it is. There's no responsibility, authority, any relationships that you're in until you invest in them first. Now you have a relationship. They might have some responsibility, authority, and they're half of the relationship and how much they share with you. But you know what you always have control over? 
you always have control over the 50% of any relationship that you are responsible for, that you have authority over. But let's just say in your relationship with the Lord that you've got responsibility and authority. How much are you exercising it? What do you think you're capable of? When have you given yourself permission to do more and more? And, and are you still waiting for someone else to give you permission or give you direction? At what point are you going to mature, graduate, go to the next class, enroll, call, whatever, to where you say, you know what? I'm no longer going to criticize the pastor, the teacher, the boss, the police officer, the government. I'm going to stop making excuses for other people, for myself, and blame it on other people. And I'm going to start taking responsibility myself. And I'm going to give myself the authority for me to be responsible rather than hold someone else responsible. And Paul says it very simply. And I love this, this section of verse, verses 11 and 12. He says, Aspire to live quietly. That means shut up. And to mind your own affairs. That means get out of other people's hair. Right? Work with your hands. Wait, not stop asking what other people are doing. And hey, did they clean enough dishes? How come I got to clean the kitchen? Ooh, not that that ever happened at my house. As we instructed you, you've known this, right? So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Ouch! Does that hurt the political arguments of the day? Work with your hands. Aspire to live quietly. Mind your own affairs. Work with your... Be responsible and have authority over yourself. Quit whining and go get something done. And, and the only way to do that, according to Paul, is with God. With God. You do stuff with God. Right? I hate those tandem bicycles. You seen these bicycles? Two people on a bike riding together. I love them sometimes. Other times I hate them. I don't hate them, hate them. I just, I partially hate them. Right? Hate is such a strong word, Scott. You shouldn't use that word. We'll argue about that later. I love them when two people are on a bike and they're just cranking away and they're getting somewhere and they're having a good time. Or they're investing in their relationship, right? I hate them when you see two people on a bike and one's riding and the other's just kind of like, la-di-da. Resting. I know, I know I'm going to get emails from bike people. It's like, well, no, it's an efficiency thing. Like one works while the other one rests, and then the other one works while the other one rests, and you take turns. No, 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 I get that. But our, in our relationship with the Lord, you're on a tandem bike, letting him do all the riding. You're just sitting in the back. Or even worse, you're trying to sit in the front, but you don't want to pedal. What? Gosh, can, can we at least ask you to steer? I was driving the other day, and I came up on these two guys on tandem bike, which is amazing because you never see those anymore, right? Which I'll prove to you in a couple seconds. I'm pulling up, and they're, they're, they're cooking along, right? This is like a pretty amazing set of guys in this bike. They're, and it's taken me a while to catch up, even though I'm driving a car. I, I, I'm pulling up, and, and they're just like, Right along, and, I, and I'm, I'm pulling up and I'm thinking to myself, that's amazing. I didn't realize they made that quality. I'm looking at the bike and the tires, and they're all shiny and brand new. And like, you bike people, you're so eccentric. It's just way too extra. Anyways, I'm getting close to them, and, I, and I'm starting to realize it's like, wow, that bike is like, it's like twisted or crooked or something. And then I get even closer. I was like, gosh, the, the one bike, it's like the one seat's kind of off to the side. It's like, but is this some like new? type of tandem bike. And then when I pulled up right alongside them and I could really see them, it wasn't a tandem bike at all. These guys were so good and so 
strong and professional and had so much control. There was actually two bikes, but they were riding so closely to each other along and cruising along at the exact same pace. They were probably doing the drafting thing or whatever. I don't know, you Greg LeMond and Lance Armstrong geek wannabes. Anyways, um, that, that they looked like they were the same. They looked like they were on the same bike until you got up really, really close and could really see them and you realize, no, just the one is really matching the other the whole way. They're just right alongside. Okay, you've been at this church for a long time. What's the analogy? What's the analogy? You don't get to ride God's bike. There's no tandem bike with God. You get to ride your own bike. Praise the Lord. He gives us responsibility and authority, and you need to focus yourself that you're going to invest in that. You're going to pursue it. You do, do the much, as much as you can to be able to ride right alongside him on the same path he's on and just cruising, matching his turn, matching his speed, drafting off him the whole time. Right? I know some of you bike people are like, oh, that's actually a pretty good analogy for us bike people. I got to hold you in because you get too many soccer ones, right? What I love about this is that it pushes us in that direction. Pushes in the better direction, right? That's number two. Influences self to focus on responsibility rather than authority. And then number three, informs the present with the inevitable and eventual. It informs the present with the inevitable and the eventual. Verse 13 uh, says it this way. Uh, but we, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. It's like we want to give you the information right now, right, about what's going on. It says um, later... The dead are going to rise, and you, they're going to go to heaven, and you're going to go to heaven. But we're going to tell you now. We're going to inform the present, right? Verses 16 through 18, what does it talk about? It says, the Lord's going to descend. He will. Not he might. He is thinking about. No, he will descend. And with the cry of a command and the voice of an archangel, the sound of a trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will. Not might, not maybe. The, the dead in Christ will rise First, And then those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. Not maybe, not I hope so. No, they will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be. I love that it says, hey, here's what will, will, and will happen. And then we will. We get brought into God's will. There's double meaning there. What is the Lord's will? And what will God do? God do. We get brought into both of those wills. And, and here's, here's the thing you need to see that. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. And it's eventual. It's like, no matter what, it's going to happen. Oh, it is? It's going to happen? Like, we're having cake? Yes, we're having cake. You mean tonight? Yes. Oh, that's all. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. And what's the next question? When? When's the cake? It's tonight, I know, but when? when? Can I have it before dinner? No. Can I have it right after dinner? No. Why? Because eating dinner right after, or eating dessert right after dinner is a sin. I haven't found it in the Bible yet, but I'm pretty sure I can find it eventually if I look. Now, the question is when? Well, eventually. The answer that I always hated was later. Right? When are we doing that? Later. It happened this week. Somebody in my family, immediate family. I want to do this, this, and this. Can we do that? I said, yes. They said, when? Later. It's inevitable, but it's also eventual. And if it is later, and I might have to wait, then what do I need now? I need information. I need to be informed, Paul says, so that you can walk now. You can be on the path now, of the information that gives you faith for what you're supposed to be doing now so that you are prepared and getting better between now and then. You see, never, we never know what's going to happen on the road, on the path. Sent my boys up to uh, Oregon. <laughs> Time for one to move out of one apartment and into the other apartment because Oregon State is actually having in-person classes, praise the Lord who is good all the time. Um, and so they're, gonna, they're going up there to move, and uh, 
and, and they take one of the vehicles with some stuff. They bring a, a recliner and a, a beanbag and throw it in the back of the suburban. And they start driving up, right? In the midst of all the virus and all the political unrest, they're going to drive up to Oregon, not to mention the fires. And it was this glorious thing because I didn't have to go. I'm thinking, I, I, got, I got several days of freedom. I'm going to spend no time, no resources on this. I tried to set them up with everything they needed just in case something went wrong, right? Sure enough, about an hour and a half later, I get a phone call. Dad, the Suburban died. Really? What happened? They start explaining, are you safe? Yeah, where are you? Well, we, we pulled off, the, we, bar- we barely got off the freeway, and, da, 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 and they said, but are you okay? They're like, we're not sure. What do you mean? Well, the car won't start, and there's nothing here. We're on some road in the middle of nowhere, and there's fires in the field on one side of us, and there's fires in the field on the other side of it, and the freeway is packed with stopped traffic. So I don't even know who can come and get us, and then I'm like, well, you got to call AAA, right? It's like, yeah, but we can't ride in the cab with AAA because of the virus. <laughs> so long story shorter, I pull up an hour and a half later, in the truck, and I pull up, the Suburban's gone because AAA's taken it, and here's my two boys, one sitting in the recliner and one sitting in the beanbag chair. There's a fire burnt field on this side, a fire burnt field on that side. There's cops up by the freeway, you know, 100 yards away, and they're just sitting on the side in the dirt in these chairs, just playing on their phones. And I am the moron who forgot to get his phone out and take a picture of these two boys just sitting on the side of the road because that would have been one of the greatest pictures ever. And they are ticked off, mad at the world, eyes are burning, they're hungry, they're grumpy, they're tired, they're roasting hot, sweating like crazy. And I give them the old truck. Said, here, put the recliner and the beanbag chair in the back of the truck you guys get in, I filled it up with gas, and you guys can take off. You can still go to Oregon. You're just an hour and a half delayed. They're whining and grumpy and ugly and upset. Blah, 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 yada, yada. They got in the car. They drove off. See, I had all these resources set up because here's Julie on the way also, coming in her car to pick me up because none of us can ride with AAA, and we're not, I still don't want to go to Oregon. So they take off. I stand under a tree on my phone, and I'm tracking where my wife is, and she's going to be here in a few minutes. And, oh, this is glorious. She picks me up. We get in the car, and boom, we're off to dinner. Literally, we went out to dinner. with. We just drove back to Pleasanton, went out to dinner with some friends. Right? What a great, pro, what, what a great opportunity. You see, I had, I had informed the present with enough to be ready for the inevitable and the eventual, like cars are going to break down. Do you, are you set up for when that happens? Do you have other people that come pick you up? Do you have AAA service? Have you invested in those kind of things so that you're okay? Because what happens a couple hours when you're out to dinner later with friends and you get another phone call? Dad, the front tire on the truck just exploded. We're stuck on the side of the freeway in the middle of nowhere. Unbelievable. We're calling AAA again. <laughs> They're showing up at the truck trying to help them figure out how to change the truck, the tire on a truck that's fully loaded in the middle of nowhere and the whole thing. And these two poor boys, right? And I get on the phone with them, and they are so upset. I can't believe it. We got these old cars that keep breaking down and blah, blah, blah. You should have this and you sh- old tires, blah, blah, blah. It's like, actually, no, those tires were brand new. What? Yeah, that tire that you hit, you must have hit something because that tire was brand new. No, it's not. That truck's old. Those tires must have been old too. I said, no, nah, just put new tires on that thing. Well, the AAA guy shows up, switched the tires. I said, hey, what did the guy say about the tire? He said the tire was brand new, that we must have hit something. <laughs> I said, oh, really? Right? They show up. Truck has a full-size spare, and I'm trying to explain to the boys the difference between the full-size spare and the donut thing that most cars have. And can they drive the rest of the way, and what are their options, and 
right? You know, the whole the whole time I was thinking to myself, I had a conversation with my wife. How fortunate are we that kids have a bank account card and AAA account and a little bit of gas and a couple cars and the whole thing so that they could get that stupid recliner and that dumb beanbag chair and get them all the way up and they made it there. They pulled in at midnight that night. And they left at like 10 in the morning. It took them like 14 hours to drive eight hours, right? And they finally arrived. And man, what a horrible experience. But you know, we had informed our present enough to be prepared for the uh, inevitable and the eventual. Things are going to happen. There's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be trouble along the way on your path with the God in faith as you're riding alongside him in your bike. Stuff's going to happen. Are you prepared for it? Are you ready for it? Do you have enough intellect, faith, and emotion, and head to stick with it and stick after it? I told the boys, I said, when you get there, I want a text message or something. I want to know. I stayed up till midnight something, waiting for that text. I couldn't go to sleep. I was freaking out. <laughs> Here's all I got from him. Here. <laughs> <That's> like, <laughs> like, we're here. We couldn't even give us either we're. Or we made it. No, that's too much. Right? Here. Right? We let them sleep and the whole thing. And the next day, because we, we knew they'd sleep in. We, got a, we talked to them the next day a couple hours later and said, hey, how are you guys doing? And it was really funny. They went from angry to happy. I was like, what's going on? He said, we can't wait till we have our own kids. And they complained about something. We're going to tell them the story about how we drove to Oregon, broke down two times in the middle of a pandemic and fires around us and AAA and the whole thing. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, they're getting better. They're growing. They're maturing. Hopefully in the Lord. Hopefully they did that because they had the example of other people around them trying to do the same thing. Are you asking God how you can do more and more? Or are you asking God how you can do less? I love those old commercials the military used to have. Back when you were forced to watch commercials and you couldn't fast forward them and Nothing was recorded. You just had to watch the, the commercials. And, and the, Ar the Army had this uh, commercial. They said, we do more before 10 a.m. than most people do all day. Right? Some of you older types, you're nodding your heads like, yeah, I remember that commercial. Man, what if that was our banner cry as Christians? How can we do more and more? How can we expect that the plan will always fail and we will always need to adjust, but we will be informed in the present to be able to handle it in ways where we take responsibility and authority to work on ourselves and quit pointing the finger and, and being a pain to others, a burden rather than blessing. We will be nice. Why? Because our faith needs to play out that way. That is the path of our faith. And what I really want you guys to see this morning, I want you to see how that cross exemplified all three of these concepts. Did Jesus do more and more on the cross in order to please God? Absolutely. In fact, he prayed, Lord, if you could let this pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And he went through the cross. He did more than he needed to, right? Did he, did he influence his self to focus on his own responsibility and his own authority rather than point the finger at other people? Yeah. In the face of Peter, who was tripping over himself to try and mess it up in the in the face of other disciples who went just disappeared they went adam in chapter three of genesis doing nothing sitting on their hands in the face of Pilate, in faith face of all these chief priests who are trying to condemn him did he did he grab the angels and say hey come on down here get me out of here i am jesus the second part of the trinity the son of god and i don't need to do no what did he do said, it is my opportunity, responsibility, and authority to solve sin, to solve death, to prove my power, to show grace and love, and I will do this, not because I have to, but because I can, and that's what I will focus on. Man, what a great act on his part. And then he informed his present with the inevitable and the eventual. Why am I doing this right now? Because I know what heaven looks like. And because I know what hell looks like. 
I know eventually I'm coming back on a horse with a trumpet and I'm going to cry and it's going to be, and you can't miss it. It's going to be awesome. We live this path of faith because it's a path of faith that Christ lived himself, that Paul taught us about. And hopefully you've seen in others to the point where you invested in yourself. Amen? Lord, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for the information now. Thanks that we can, we can know that the bumps cannot stop us. Not even Satan himself can stop us. There's uh, nothing that can stop us, but our, we, we, we are the only ones that can stop ourselves. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be um, animals of faith in you rather than faith in ourselves. If you're struggling this morning and you've got fears and worries and anxiety or questions, you're finding it hard to have hope or believe in a future. I you to pray about those things with God right now. Just, just, God, I need them more in this. I need more and more in this. I need hope. I need faith. Increase my faith. His disciples said to Jesus, said, increase our faith. What's that thing you need God to increase your faith in? Ask him for it. And then believe that it is inevitable and eventual. And then if you can, tell us as a church how we can, can help you in it. We thank you, Lord, for how you continue to provide for the church through uh, offering, ties, mail in online. And pray you would uh, continue to help our church be a, a church that has faith in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.